everyone, you're listening to The Talent Revolution, where we believe that focusing on quality over volume and being different, not better, is the right way to hire the best humans and build stronger teams. To help you do this, I go behind the scenes with forward-thinking recruiters, employer brand experts, and people leaders making a huge difference to their organizations. I'm your host, Tom Hackwell, and in today's episode, I'll be speaking with Brad Clark, who leads talent acquisition at Article. Brad's been in the recruitment space for about 15 years. He worked as a consultant for eight of those years, mostly in tech for a number of big and small brands, notably Boeing, Samsung, Best Buy, and Plenty of Fish. And as we said, he currently leads talent acquisition for Article, a direct-to-consumer furniture brand disrupting a very traditional furniture buying experience. We're going to dig deep into all things recruitment, but I personally am super excited to learn more about how Brad's taken a talent acquisition essentially from the ground up to super highly effective and performant during a phase of absolutely extreme growth over the past few years. Brad, thanks so much for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me. This is great. No sweat. I think, look, let's start at the beginning, right? I think we want to set the scene for listeners, kind of help to get a bit of context as to your perspective on all these things. How did you get into HR in the first place? I'm never sure if I'm even in HR, to be honest. I mean, I'm in talent acquisition, so, and I'm sure my HR friends would say I'm not part of HR either some days. And so this came from is, you know, after university, originally I wanted to take a break and I was like, you know, I'm just going to get a job and... You know, original thought was, hey, go to law school, just take a bit of a time and get a skill which can be easily transferable. So it's like, I'll work in restaurants that pays pretty well. I can do it anywhere. Fell in love with it. And, and part of the a big thing in this was growing, you know, found myself in leadership really quickly, building, growing teams, really enjoyed that. But then also, you know, soon enough found, you know, working a lot of crazy hours, weekends, all this kind of thing. And just said, hey, you know, maybe it's time to reflect. And I realized that I didn't want to go back to school, but I also didn't want to continue this path. And so, you know, at that stage, that's when, you know, Monster was big. Monster was just kind of starting. So like job boards were just starting. And so I was like, I'm just gonna put my resume out there. This is a new thing in itself. And you know, I had a recruiter call me and, and said, Hey, you know, you mentioned recruitment on your resume and something you do. Have you ever thought of being a recruiter? And and so my question was, no. And, and I kind of thought, you know, and, and he's so we chatted about it a little bit and said, Hey, think about it and then get back to me if you're interested. So I, I did. And there's a tech recruitment agency reached out. And next thing you know, a few interviews later, I found myself, you know jumping into tech recruitment. And uh, so I started in the agency space, uh, worked for a local tech recruitment agency, did that for about four years, cut my teeth there, learned just a lot of really fundamental skills, you know, and that's really kind of set the stage for a lot of my career, which is great. Fast forward towards the end of it, parts of it weren't the perfect fit for me at that stage. And, and I wanted to do more. And it was, it was, a, I love the recruitment part, but I felt there's, there's a bigger picture. And I was only doing part of it. And so I wasn't sure what that meant. And so I decided to take a bit of sabbatical and, Left on a really high note, you know, got a big bonus check and said, hey, I'm going to go cash out and go travel for a little bit and, and just kind of reflect and figure out what's next for me. So I just didn't know. And when I was traveling, I started getting messages on LinkedIn. Hey, and also I realized, wait a second, like my skills are pretty transferable. This is pretty in demand. And so I decided not to go back to the recruitment agency I was working at. And a person who I had interviewed previously, who was in a uh, TA leadership spot, uh, was working at Best Buy and said, hey, do you want to come as a consultant? And we're currently rebuilding our tech leadership team. We'll parachute you in and just give you the autonomy to go in and, and build this leadership team from scratch. Because they previously they worked with a consulting firm and they kind of outsourced all that and they're bringing it all in-house. And so it was, and I said, yeah, I can do this. And so I tried it out and loved it. So this was great. I was, you know, coming in as an expert, giving this autonomy. And so, you know, so I ended up doing similar work to this for about eight years, was a consultant. Like I said, like I mentioned there, I was working for you know, companies like Samsung R&D and Boeing and, you know, and then also like a bunch of small startups, early stage, different groups. And so, but really go and parachute, you know, help them figure out what they need to do to set up to be, you know, successful, help them build teams, train, do all those kind of things. 
which is great. And then I was loving this and then COVID hit and everyone just stopped. Everything just stopped for about as well like two months. It seemed just no one was hiring. Everyone, no one knew what was going to happen. No, and so I was like, okay, what's going on here? And then I noticed articles continued to hire. And I said, okay, so I was interested there. And so they, they had a job opening. And so my goal was, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll apply, but I'll convince them to hire me as a consultant. That was, that was kind of my, you know, so this would be my way in, so to speak. And I'll get an interview and then I'll say, hey, I, I should be hired as a consultant. I'll, I'll fix your problems and, you know, keep you guys going well. So I was going to play the reverse Uno card. And so I was going to put that, you know, so and I, I won't say Uno because we're, we're playing a lot of Uno in my house here if I kid. And so, and, but then they played the reverse Uno card. And, and in meeting them and meeting the leadership team and seeing what they're up to, I got sold. And so, you know, I thought I was going to be there saying, hey, hire me as a consultant. And then I left saying, hey, I want to, I'm in all hands on. And, and so gave up the consulting practice and joined Article. And fast forward now, it's, it's you know, kind of coming up on two years this summer. And it's been a pretty exciting ride. That's kind of my, for me to condense my story, that's my story. Sure. No, that's awesome. And, and I think, yeah, like a, a real range of experience. I always find it interesting to speak to in-house folks who started in agency and then kind of went through the ringer a bit in the consulting space and otherwise versus people who've always done in-house and trying to understand more about how they think differently, perhaps about where the power dynamic sits in the market and things like that. I guess, what do you think you've sort of accumulated in terms of your own like USP or your own unique perspective through the journey you've taken up to the point of article? Yeah, I think really early on, I realized it was all about the candidates. And that sounds like not radical these days. Like today, everyone gets it. Everyone's like, oh yeah, hey, cool. Yeah, yeah. But rewind before, and that was not the norm. Like that was pretty disruptive. And, and you know, there was almost a, a bit of an arrogance behind companies and hiring managers. So kind of like, you're lucky to interview. You can do it on my time. Like you can wait. You know, job postings were all about the company, not about actually what the person gets to do. And and so and a big focus of mine early on is like every step along the way, this no matter what is going on, I mean, hot job markets is easy to say, but even in not hot job markets, the best people always have options. And so, and if you want to hire those best people, you need to cater to them. It's really about them, you know, from everything from, again, from that job posting to the interview experience, to what your career site looks like, all those steps is about them, you know, and it's need to be focused that way. And that's probably what's always really guided a lot of just like internally, like what's guided me through like how, what recruitment needs to look like. No, look, that makes sense. And as you say, it, it doesn't sound all that controversial today, but we can all look back just a few years. And in fact, even today, that's not necessarily the view that's adopted by everybody, sadly, right? But your point around the best candidates always having that choice and always wielding that power is super true. And I think not realized by many. I think the problem is that it's almost like unconscious incompetence, right? Like you often don't realize that there's a whole echelon or a whole caliber of candidate that you're never seeing because of the way that your approach works or the... And it's Obviously, that's kind of pushed itself further down the market, and now every candidate wields power. But we speak to a lot of people that have used this to sort of change and evolve the way they think about recruitment and the way they think about where that dynamic should lie. And they say, hey, not only are we seeing people in a competitive market, but we're seeing people better than we saw before because we're giving them the time of day and we're working around their schedules and so on. Like simple stuff, right? That all makes sense. I guess like I'm keen to dig into... A, basically, that like we've learned about your sort of pre-article experience. I think that the fascinating piece to me, selfishly, is what you've done at Article over the past few years. I think before we dig into how you did that, it would be good just to set the scene for folks about kind of who Article is a bit more and how big the business is and what that's looked like. So can you kind of just give us a bit of a run through of where Article is today? Yeah, no, it makes sense. So Article right now, so we are just kind of hovering around the high 1,300, kind of close to 1,400 employees. So headquarters are based here in Vancouver, uh, Canada. We have distributing locations, so warehouse and uh, distribution locations across North America. 
We have an office in Vietnam and, and a number of employees across Asia as well. And we are starting to get a few in, in Europe. And so we're a global brand now. So like, you know, we're only selling in North America, but we have, you know, we call them particles. So like people of articles. So our, we have particles across the world right now, so to speak. So, but in terms of like who we are, so, you know, just high level context is, you know, we were founded back in 2011. Our site went live 2013. So you're kind of coming close to that 10 year mark of being publicly facing, but we're a, a direct consumer, uh, mid-century modern furniture, you know, and, and the focus is, is really on the easiest way for people to furnish their space. And, you know, this really comes down, we weren't founded by furniture people. We were founded by software engineers. So we had, there's four software engineers who really basically thought that the whole process of buying furniture wasn't that great. And, you know, we can disrupt that and, and make it remarkably better. And so, you know, we operate you know, much closer to a tech company than traditional furniture company, just in terms of, you know, how we, how we think and how we do things. And so, so, you know, kind of, kind of close to a decade being there and, uh, you know, obviously in last year we went through a massive hyper growth phase. So we, we, we grew in a, a, a huge way. On, so you said a couple of things there. One, and it almost annoys me. Like I, I love how good particles are as a name for the team that you have. Like we at Pinpoint have been trying to think of names for Pinpoint team members for like five years and have yet to come up with anything good. And so like I hate that particles is just such a great name for people of article. Anybody has any suggestions, very open-minded about them. Secondly, I think like I watched and I have obviously tracked your like employer brand and your kind of public facing stuff for a long time. And the all of your engineering videos and your recruitment videos really echo that message so well, right? Like it's a tech company that sells furniture, not a furniture company that does technology. And I think you've like nailed that positioning and kind of really keen to dig into that later. I think before we do that, yeah, like, you know, hiring a thousand people in a year when you've been around for nine years already is is pretty ridiculous. And I can't imagine what that would look like for you. But like, what does the actual TA function look like now in terms of headcount and how's that sort of split up? We've got 13 on the team. I was make sure I'm like, I'm including everybody because we also have, so, so, so yeah, sorry, 14. And then, uh, so it's 14. And then there's, we also have an employer brand manager who he sits in marketing, but he's kind of de facto one of us, so to speak. And so he's really close to the team, even though his, his reporting structure is in marketing and then myself. So there'd be, you know, kind of 15 plus one in TA at this stage. And so, and then the way we're structured right now is, you know, we've got two groups. So we've got one group, which is more focused on corporate and Asian hiring. And the other group is more focused on warehouse and fulfillment. And, and that fulfillment side is, you know, we do, you know, we actually handle a lot of the final mile delivery. So when you buy a piece of furniture on article, we're trying to do as much as possible, but we're actual like particles are doing that home delivery because, you know, you imagine you, you buy, you know, this beautiful furniture online, you know, the only human you interact with is that delivery person. And we want that to be an extension of the brand. And so like, so we get into hiring those, you know, the delivery people, we're not just need to, be able to drive a truck and move furniture, but also need to represent the brand and be part of that brand experience when you actually buy that furniture. No, I love that. And, and again, like not really a comment on recruitment, but again, like I watched all the delivery driver recruitment videos and seeing the personalities of those folks come through and the way they take that customer obsession value and that piece really seriously is, is really encouraging, even as a potential customer. And obviously, like I work in this space. So sadly, when I go buy things, I look at how they recruit to kind of get a sense for their cultural values. But like, that's the thing. I feel like a lot of organizations take environmental constraints as a given and then don't try and work around them. So like for you guys, what I hear you're saying is customer obsession is super important to you. The only way you can ensure you're giving your customers an experience you're proud of is to do that last mile delivery piece yourself. But what a lot of folks would say is, well, 
yeah, we just rely on the courier and that's out of our hands. We do the bit we can as best we can and everything else isn't our problem. Like I love that you're taking ownership of that. I think that's something which, you know, behind the scenes, people probably don't realize what Oracle, but like we're involved from everything from sourcing raw materials, you know, to working closely with manufacturers, to you know, understanding the shipping, which is super complex in itself and the supply chain challenges, you know, so, you know, from kind of buying timber to that, that couch showing up on that sofa gets delivered to your door, like we're involved in all those steps. And, and so it's, but the customer obsession piece is so important for us. Like all those things are done on purpose for the customer obsession. No, look, that makes a lot of sense. And and I, I just love that. I, I empathize with your supply chain challenges. I assume that, that, that you're not having much fun there. But to, to me, all I just hear is that is an incredibly diverse pool of people you've got to recruit from, right? You're not like a startup recruiting software engineers and product people like mine, which is great, but like a relatively captive audience of people. You've got literally supply chain folks and timber sourcing fulfillment people and everything in the middle and like that. I see that as a challenge, let's be clear. It's hard. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a really diverse group of people we're targeting. And that's the fun in it, right? That's, that's really the fun is, that, is that, that mix and that complexity. So as you've grown like this, uh, this ridiculous clip over the past, let's just focus on like the last 18 months, say, but, you know, realistically over a fair period of time now, like how have you thought about the split between doing that in-house with the 14, 15 people you have today versus leveraging third parties like agencies or partners or RPO, et cetera? It's really rare if we use an agency and I mean, we don't engage any agencies. We So I guess the only time we would use one, it would be, you know, for like a temp staffing person. So let's say we needed someone, say front desk come in as a temp or, you know, if there's like a, a really basic account payable, really short term temp role, you know, we'd use a, a staffing agency for that. But otherwise, uh, we've handled everything in house. And so historically, before I started, we did use agencies, but the goal was is to build up the, the muscle internally. And, and not to say I'm against agencies, like I came from agencies, you love agencies, there's a certain place, but the model I built was really focused on building a really strong team internally. And so, I mean, last year we hired over 60 engineers, which was, was a challenging feat in any market. And, you know, two of them came from agencies and that was more of a legacy, you know, kind of, than you know, I'm, they kind of slipped through the cracks to be totally honest. And, and so, which they're great, we've made sense. And so, but we didn't engage in any agency to do that. And you know, in the Vancouver market, it's definitely like, there's a big tech scene here that was like unheard of, to be honest. It was just totally unheard of to be able to do that much hiring in-house, so. Yeah, but props to you for being able to do it, right? I think like the way you think about it is sort of the way we think about building products, right? Like lots of folks outsource a lot of their early engineering stuff, but we wanted to build that internal muscle and that kind of muscle memory and build that team and that culture around it. And so even if it takes slightly longer to stand the team up or even if it's slightly more difficult, we sort of took a longer term view on the validity of that. Sounds like you guys have taken the same approach. Your product fundamentally is recruitment, right? So that's it. A lot of the team came from like an agency background. So we operate much like an agency. We're not just an inbound, you know, and, and that's probably a big thing. Like, you know, there's a lot of, you know, internal TA groups, which are just, you know, selecting and source, like so just selecting the best of applicants. And, you know, we're very much an outbound and inbound team just by nature. So that you know, we act like an agency in that by nature. The other kind of macro question i guess i want to ask before we dig into the detail of some of the strategic stuff you've been doing is is like this whole de and i piece like i know you guys are super strong here but i also know how difficult that must be at the rate that you've grown over the trailing 18 months like sometimes those things kind of combat each other right like how have you thought about de and i article philosophy comes from my boss so caroline so our vp of people and culture who heads people and culture for us was really intentional on us you know kind of flipping around and you know we call it id so inclusion and diversity and the idea being is it's 
you know, our focus is on the inclusion piece and the result is diversity. And so, you know, and, and so it's, it's like almost like an equation. And, and that's kind of probably like our, our nerdy engineering kind of background. Like kind of think these things through and you know, what comes first in that, in that equation, so to speak. And so what we didn't want to have was anything in place, which was anything other than a meritocracy. We always want to hire the best people. We don't want to hire anything on quotas or anything else like this. But we want to make sure we could widen that funnel as much as possible. And so there's a big focus on, on how to make sure that everyone has that opportunity, everyone, what that looks like. And there's times where, you know, certain groups like, like text one of them, like it, it's hard to get female engineers. And so, you know, as a result of that, like, so it's, it's not just why in that funnel, but it's actually bringing people into that funnel. And so, and supporting the communities, so like we work with some different, uh, like groups focused on, on supporting and building, you know, women in engineering, because we, we want more in the community. So it's not just about us, it's about actually, you know, adding to that. So that's what a, big focus on is that, that top of funnel, that top of funnel, like, what does that look like, you know, on, on the TA front of it. Now, you know, other parts of my colleagues on the engagement communication side of things, you know, they have different internal parts where it's like, we're trying to you know, make sure that we're looking at how do we remove our bias, looking at, you know, shared experience that so we bring in guest speakers to talk, you know, and, and talk about their experience from, you know, bring a different perspective. And so, you know, I think the one thing we're probably, we do a lot of the work behind the scenes. We're probably not great at sharing a lot of the stuff we do, to be honest. And, and that's something, I mean, it's hard. Like we, we've got a, a humbleness to us, which kills me as, as a recruiter, someone who wants to share everything. And I go, hey, I, you know, we're doing all this stuff. How do we share this? But, you know, for things like this, which are, we've been intentionally just making sure that we're not, we're early in this process and this journey. And it's an ongoing journey, if that makes sense. It is. And it should be an ongoing journey for everybody. But it sounds like you guys are doing it for the right reasons, which... Obviously, everybody's going to love when they find out eventually. Wow, you know, I appreciate your desire to shout and scream about it more because it makes sense from a sort of positioning perspective. But like, it sounds like it's all there under the hood, which is awesome. I think let's dig into the detail, right? I want to kind of tell this story of this kind of growth over the trailing months and, and learn from the experiences, good and bad, you've had doing that, right? So we've talked about the team now, sort of 14, 15 people plus, well, 15 with you plus one and things like that. Like, where was the team when you joined? So when I joined, there was two people who were hired about a month before myself. And we were a basically a totally distributed, like so like a decentralized recruitment, like hiring managers did their own recruitment. They had access to an ATS. They would just basically pick the people, pick their process. You know, people in culture would help where they could, but they are stretched incredibly thin. And so it was very, very decentralized and very like early stage. And so, you know, coming in, we had to, you know, even though we, we, you know, had a vision for what we need to get to, we're still on that kind of getting there. We also had to meet them where they were. So we, there was a big part, like we couldn't boil the ocean say, Hey, here's all these things we need to do. So we had to focus on growing the team, you know, taking, building that trust of those hiring managers and taking that away from them, to be honest. And so centralizing it to a certain stage, but at the same time, making sure we, it wasn't done in a way which, you know, lost that partnership. So it wasn't just like, Hey, throw the fence. Someone else has it, you know, still really important that those hiring managers are really closely involved in recruitment and they care about all those things. But yeah, early, I mean, so again, we went from totally no, basically no recruitment into all of a sudden quickly scaling a team, building up our practices, changing our tooling out and doing all this while well, just moving at speed. And so it was, there was definitely a, a lot going on, you know, in, in that process. No, sure. I think like one of the things, so you're talking about this sort of shift from, I'm going to call it self-service hiring manager hiring to a more centralized function, right? Where, where you and your team are kind of leading that and taking the charge and obviously working in a partnership with the hiring managers, understand their requirements and, and go out to market for them. All makes sense. I guess through the context of you growing and adding a thousand people last year, 
how did you think about forecasting throughout that, right? Like obviously the business is growing a wild pace and you're then reactively or, or maybe maybe proactively, but you're doing something and you're deciding you need to hire some people. How do you think about knowing how much you should be hiring and when and, and whose responsibility is that? Uh, I still don't think we have nailed down, to be totally honest. And that's something I think it, it's hard. It's, it's really hard because, you know, and getting those numbers, we're going through that hyper growth phase and, you know, everyone is... is you know, just needs more. They need more people. They need, and that's really, I mean, it's a challenge. It's a challenge to do. And I don't think we, we nailed it, to be totally honest. You know, I think there was, especially with, you know, on the warehouse and fulfillment side, like we were opening so many new locations so quickly last year. You know, we were constantly playing catch up. We were constantly just trying to keep up at the pace of the business, which was, I mean, that's exciting to me. That, that's the problem you want to have, right? You know, uh, you know, it's been an ongoing challenge just to say, okay, what does that look like? And, you know, if I was going to say like, Last year, it was very much like, you know, get the right people on the bus. You know, we're just trying to get everyone on, you know, onto this bus as quickly as we can, get those right people in. You know, this year now is like trying to figure out like, you know, who sits where, who sits where, how's that structure, what does that look like? And so, you know, we're definitely kind of catching our breath and putting people in the right seats. But also now a shift is, is probably being a bit more intentional about what roles do we really need? How do we need them? How are they structured? So, which is great. And, and that's, I think, because we need the markets moving so quick, and then one of the big focus for my team is is slowing down and working to really be really clear about why we're hiring, what that person's going to do, what we need. Because when we get into the market, the market's moving so fast, and so like the people we want to hire will have options. If they're open to making a move, they're going to be open to other options as well. And so, yeah, we need to be really clear on that decision making criteria. And so, if there's more pre work up ahead, it's a different challenge. Last year was. A massive challenge volume. This is really the challenge is, is really making sure we're really partnering with the business and really are clear because it's just that market is moving, like I said, at just such incredibly fast speed right now. And if you, and if you don't, you're going to lose those candidates mid-flight. If they get any sense of hesitation, you know, they're off to the next opportunity. No, sure. And I think, you know, you said a lot there. And I think good to understand for some of us that you don't just have like everything absolutely perfectly nailed down and that you still feel like there's there's an opportunity for reflection there. Like what I did hear that I thought was super interesting there, though, was this notion of like, and again, it comes back to your understanding that the candidate really is the most important piece of this puzzle. But like thinking about doing more pre-work up front so that you can go into those conversations with a sense of speed and flexibility that you wouldn't otherwise be able to do, right? If you're clear and in about the intention of the hire and the parameters that you can move left to right, then you can have those conversations and turn things around with candidates much quicker than you could at your scale without doing the pre-work. Is that right? No, that's 100% it. And doing that, it's easy to say that, but it's hard to change your mindset into, you know, there's a lot of like, you know, we were doing much of this, but I've seen this in the past where people do kind of spaghetti recruitment. Just I'll know when I see it, just throw it against the wall, see what sticks, right? <laughs> yeah. And I get it. And I get where sometimes, you know, like that might just be the reality you're living in, but with the market right now, you just, it's really challenging to do that. Like you really need to be as thoughtful as, I mean, you're going to learn and adjust along the way. Like you're going to meet some people, you might realize this is not what you need and you kind of have to go back and, and take an agile approach to things, but as clear as you can be up and then validate that hypothesis, have your hypothesis, who's who you want to hire, go there, try and validate it. If it isn't validate, go back again and, and, and almost do another, it's like an agile, you know, do another agile loop, and, so to speak. No, sure. In terms of the structure of the team then, so as this has evolved and as the headcount has increased by these ridiculous numbers, kind of week on week, month on month, et cetera, obviously the team has gone from the two it was when you joined to the sort of 15, 16 people it is now. Like what was the driving force behind the when of that growth? Like were there trigger points when it made sense to split the team and go warehouse and corporate and things like that? Like how did that evolve? Yeah. And, and so it was 
feedback mostly from the hiring manager. So, I mean, like we serve two customers. You know, we, we have our candidate experience, we have a hiring manager experience, and it's pretty clear all of a sudden when you, you know, when you're just unable to meet those demands. And all of a sudden you go, okay, wait a second, you know, we need to split these two areas off. And so we made that split. I think in hindsight, my background is tech recruitment. You know, I should have brought in a, a warehouse fulfillment leader earlier. I thought it was like, hey, tech recruitment is super hard. I can figure this out, you know. And tech recruitment is super hard, but warehouse recruitment is also super hard. Driver recruitment is super hard. And so, you know, that was something, I mean, early on, I, I should have probably brought in a leader quicker. We've got an amazing leader now. She's fantastic, you know, which, I mean, makes my world so much easier just because of that, that leadership and expertise. But so it was, it was really the business dictating these things. And you can see it quickly where you go, okay, listen, like we're just unable to keep up at the speed you want to move. And so, so we, we divided that. And, but part of that too was, you know, the team was at probably different, you know, stages of growth, so to speak, right? So like the, we had a corporate team, which started off, you've got established, got running. And then we started building, you know, the, the warehouse and fulfillment team up to kind of meet that demand. So there's different, and now both are kind of catching up. And so now it's almost looking like, how do we, there's also a risk of, of having them run in parallel and slightly veer off. And so, you know, if you think they're identical, but they start going off. And so that's probably one of the biggest things is making sure right now it's, what things we do together, what things make sense to separate, and if that makes sense. And so it's that alignment piece. And I think that's, that's, that's a tricky piece we're trying to balance right now. It's like we, there's things which just make sense. You have to do on your own. There's things which we have to do together and, and try and figure those things out right now. No, look, it does make sense. And it just sounds like it's all kind of happened and evolved naturally and fairly organically, which is, I guess, as, as expected, right? I, I think one of the things I'm interested in, and you, know, you talk about this and we will see it in the start of world, perhaps to a lesser degree than you have over the past year, admittedly. But like you're sort of fighting fires, right? And you realize that you're not meeting up with the demands of your two customers. You talk about your hiring managers, you talk about your candidates. And so naturally, you just get another bum on another seat and it creates capacity and additional resource and you continue to kind of deploy the same thing. Like to what extent have you leveraged tools to help you with this? Again, not here to talk about pinpoint. Like what have you seen in the market that you've deployed effectively? Are there things that you've tried that haven't worked? Like how do you think about tooling? Yeah. So, well, I mean, pinpoint is a big part of this. So, I mean, like you, we shouldn't shy away from that. And that was, we quickly realized. And so I know you don't want to plug your tool, which I, I appreciate, but at the same time, it is really vital to the work we've done. And so, and that was a, the biggest piece was, you know, we, we had an ATS, which just wasn't able to scale. We made that switch mid-flight and that enabled us for a big part of that. So, but some of the other tooling we use, I mean, our, our stack isn't that crazy or complex. I mean, so you know, obviously Pinpoint is, you know, the main hub there. We're using certain for our background checks. That's a, a Canadian company located not too far away from us. And, and they're doing some really good work, which is, which is good on that side. Yeah, we use a tool called Hume Predictions on the tech side for sourcing. Elliot, the, the founder, he comes from a recruitment background. Brilliant. The tool works great. They're probably not as, they don't spend as much on marketing, but the people who use them who know it and get it, like, it's great. And, you know, I think they really outshine a lot of other bigger brands. And maybe that's part of our philosophy is like, our goal is not just getting the one of the biggest marketing and the biggest well-known name. It's actually getting the best tool and what people actually know the, the space. And so other than that, I mean, you know, also use Zoom for video. You know, we use Google Voice, which is important, you know, just for like communication. So we're not on cell phones. We're all remote, you know, so we're rarely in the office. So we're not sitting there working out of a, a landline. Also, we don't want people using uh, their personal phone. We use CoderPad, the technology side. And that's kind of the big ones. I mean, we have some other things which are part of the, you know, the testing for like when we hire drivers, you know, and like, so obviously we have like things like drug testing, physical and DOT, but that's more on the safety side. So that's a little less of our control. So, so our tech stack's pretty, pretty simple. 
The one thing I wish worked, I think there's still something there, but just we haven't found a way to crack it is, is video interviews. And because conceptually, I love the idea of this, but at this stage, I don't know if the tooling's not there or we weren't using it right, but we tried a couple different platforms, uh, both on job boards and other tools. And, you know, I think there's just too much friction at this stage. And again, I think that, I don't know, that could be us, you know, how we're using a tool, but, you know, I like it, especially for things like, you know, we've got customer care, we get a ton of applicants to that, you know, so we get a, a ton of applicants and, you know, having the ability to have people showcase their skills would be great, but we just haven't, we haven't cracked it, to be honest. And so I'd like to go back and find a solution around that because I think there's something there, but we just, we haven't got it right yet. No, sure. Look, makes total sense and, and glad that you're still reflecting on options there. But yeah, I mean, I'll also plug Elliot at Human Predictions. We aren't a partner or a referral or anything. We just think they're great and what him and his team are doing is brilliant. So, so completely echo that sentiment and glad you're working with those guys and obviously with us. I think, yeah, tools are an important part of this process, right? I think one thing I would say, and we don't necessarily need to dig into it, but like often what we see in the market is organizations that are going through a period of growth have that really heavily impact the way they think about tooling because obviously you're having to constantly adapt the role that that tool is playing in your process in your ecosystem and kind of flexibility and support of that offering is really important and not necessarily that's not necessarily a match made in heaven with a lot of vendors in the space all i'd say is like those folks looking at new tools regardless of what role they play in their stack really evaluate not just where you are today, but also kind of where the market's moving and where you're moving as an all to make sure that there's alignment there, right? It's pretty big on that part. And when I'm looking at a vendor, I mean, yeah, I'm looking at not just where they were, but you know, I'm looking at trajectory. You know, So if I see a tool which is great now, but they haven't added anything in a while, that kind of worries me, you know, because it's like, okay, they're kind of resting their laurels or adding a lot on. I want to see something which is, you know, I can see they are constantly improving and they're taking customer feedback. And I'd rather hitch my wagon to a tool like that, just as a philosophy in general. And I think that's important, but not the tooling is, I think the process is like when you're building a team like this, you know, it's the tooling is a foundational piece you need to, but it's how you use that tooling. It's how you build your processes. And for us, like, I think something which is a bit of a novel approach is, is we're really, our teams are inspired by product management and like by software. And I think that's, you know, like, again, come from a tech background, you know, you know, and hiring a lot of tech people, I look at this and, you know, the way we do this and just doing scale, there's so much to do. It's so we look at this and so we build a backlog. So we use a Kanban like system. You know, we look at all the challenges we have and all the opportunities, build this backlog. And then from there, and the teams they're ranking that. So it's not just me going in. So saying, hey, here, you know, let's make sure everyone can put their, you know, they're adding this looks like. And so, and then from there, then we focus. And so, you know, our TA members are not just working on on the recs they're working on and but they're, they're the ones leading this. They're the ones owning this. And so what I've done is often partnering and Rather than just having one person have a, a project live on the side of their desk, I find is having two people usually work on things. There's accountability, and you know, it's, it's kind of like having like a gym partner. You might not feel good going to the gym that day. That person brings you up, and so you know, then you end up going and you feel good. And so, same idea, but so getting two people typically working on a small project, which again, we we treat you know, and doing like a bit of a, it's almost like a sprint. So that we move from the Kanban backlog into the doing, you know, accomplish. And so we're breaking things down to really small pieces. And then we're also taking more of an MVP approach and saying like, okay, what does V1 look like? You know, how does that evolve? And I think that's something which a lot of TA groups and just HR, I know I may kind of joke about not being part of HR, but there's a tendency for HR to go, we need to build a, a world-class system. We need to make this best in class and we need to make sure we roll against the whole company. And, you know, reality is you just need to make it a little bit better. You know, you need to add some value. And so you need to constantly be delivering value the same way a product does. And so if you're constantly improving your services, thinking about like a product, asking your customers what they need, asking what that pain point is, 
how do I improve this? You know, and so, you know, for me, the big part is in building this team and, and there's no way I could do this on my own. There's no, it's like, how do I build a platform? How do I see myself? I said the vision, I said, here's a, where we need to go. And then I, you know, hire and trust a team to get us there. Like the team is amazing. Like the team does this. It's like all the credit goes to them. They're the ones leading this. They have way better ideas than I have. We work together, you know, all as a group collaborate and they go off and, you know, work on something, whether it's a training piece, a process piece, you know, looking at our tooling, how we use things and then ship it, you know, so to speak, we finish it, we ship it and then go back and, and maybe that's V1 and we look at this. And, and I think that's been a little bit of our, what's allowed us to scale as quickly as we did is that, you know, the team leading this, again, taking that product like mindset is, you know, versus, you know, boiling the ocean, trying to build these big monolithic type programs, which are too big and they take too long and the business changes by the time it's actually delivered. You just can't move that slow. Sorry, I went off on a tangent. So I'll get off my soapbox there. And I love that soapbox that I spend a lot of time in the product management world. And, you know, no first iteration of a product ever survives its first touch point with the customer, right? And I think it's exactly the same here. Like you want to strive for that 1% marginal gain rather than this kind of lift and shift complete revolution that never quite plans out as you wanted it to. So like not on a soapbox at all, totally resonates. I, I think you kept talking about the a the value of the team and quality of the folks that you've got on your side, which obviously is crucial. But you also talked about training, and I think one of the things that interests me is this idea. And you you were very kind of self deferential and honest about it. And you said, "Hey, maybe on reflection, I should have brought in a warehouse and fulfillment leader earlier because it was a gap in my own experience." And she's come in and she's done an amazing job, and that sounds epic. Like when you think about recruiting for those disparate teams, then are you hiring folks underneath? both of those teams that have specific domain experience in those sectors or are you training them up and what does that look like it's a mix and so so we've brought people in who already have previous experience in certain areas on the warehouse side it's just it's more volume it's the ability to deal with volume but at the same time we've also so we've hired internally from customer care it's hard to recruit recruiters right now it's a hot market for recruiters and so you know we look at this as like hey what are the skill sets what's transferable and that kind of is part of our adding some internal employment opportunities as well. And so we've brought people on from customer care as part of you. So we've brought people with no recruitment experience, but have a lot of the core skill sets, you know, have that sense of urgency, great communication skills, you know, can quickly think on their feed, make things happen. And, and those things build a good recruiter. So we've trained up and we've brought in, you know, experience. And then on the corporate side, you know, so our tech recruiters had to have tech backgrounds. Like that's just something which I did, probably realistic. I, I didn't have enough time to train from scratch. It's doable, but it, it just takes a long time. And so it was, it, was, it was the experience and the network. I needed access to their brand and their network as well. So our tech recruiters came from tech backgrounds. The other recruiters are more generalists on the corporate side. Like, so it's kind of like an 80-20. So they've got about 80% of time they focus on a couple, you know, kind of like departments. And then 20% of the time they do other stuff. And, and same for the tech recruiters as well. And the reason behind that is just, I want some flexibility, but at the same time, I also want to build long-term relationships and really having a deep understanding into the business. And so they can speak clearly. So they don't just say, you know, I do a little bit of everything. There's enough work they can focus in on a couple departments. So there's that balance between specialization plus the variation, I guess, if that makes sense. It makes total sense. And I think I'm glad you said it, but I think it's sometimes easy to forget that a kind of big component part sometimes of the people you're recruiting into your TA function is their existing network, right? And the people they've spent lots of time building relationships with over the years, especially in these high value roles. So yeah, no, again, completely resonates. I think look, I want to be respectful of your time. This has been epic. One final question, if I may, which is you've been really reflective throughout and it's been great and it's been great to hear you be so modest about your achievement like i hope the business realizes how fortunate they are to have you and the whole team 
delivering as you've done over the past year. But things can always go better, and hindsight's a wonderful thing, right? Like what looking back over the past eighteen months in this hyper growth phase, what might you do differently if you were doing it again now? I think about it a lot, and one of my favorite books is like the hard thing with hard things, where it's like you it's just an outstanding read for anybody, and it just talks about that where there's there's trait there's times when like no matter what your decision is, it's not good, you know. And I don't know if I could do it that differently. But that being said, like what I wish, if there was a way to, it'd probably be more focus on the why behind things, more focus on why we're doing things and explain and bring the business along earlier. And the reality, I mean, just the constraints we're under, like just because we're, was, you know, we were building a lot of stuff with, you know, about sharing ahead of time why and sharing that kind of vision of what that looks like ahead of time. And so, you know, if anyone's going through this experience again, I would just, if you can carve out time to explain where you're going and why you're going there and how that's going to help them instead of just kind of focus on the you know the what and the how like explain the why up front and, and that's i think probably something i still need to get better at doing to be totally honest and, and uh, you know it's just making time because it's so important that it's almost that change management component if that makes sense and recruitment can be kind of reactive you're always trying to keep up the business uh and you're trying to build and scale your team so you can catch up and not just build your team in terms of size, but like in terms of maturity, in terms of abilities. And so, but explaining that journey so people know ahead of time where you're at is, is pretty key. That context is key, right? And look, that makes perfect sense. It's a great piece of advice. And frankly, it's relevant regardless of whether you're going through crazy hyper. It's certainly easier if you're not going through crazy hyper growth, but the advice stands true regardless, right? So super great way to end. And just as a side note, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, which is written by Ben Horowitz, is also one of my all-time fave books. And we'll link to that in the show notes as well, because it's definitely worth a read if you've not read it yet. But look, that just leads me to say thank you so much, right? Brad, thanks for your time today. I think hopefully everybody's realized how great Brad is and Article are. And so if you're interested in joining their team, or if you're a recruiter just wants to see what best practice looks like, go check out their career site. And we'll link to that in the show notes. And you can find it at article.com. If you want more advice and just general in- industry commentary and the occasional brisket photo, uh, check out Brad on LinkedIn. We'll link to his LinkedIn photo. Uh, well, his brisket photo will get a link, but we'll link to his LinkedIn profile as well. But yeah, Brad, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. Uh, Tom, I love it. I think uh, yeah. next time let's put some time in to talk some Lego though, okay? Can we do that? For sure. Yeah. No, me and Brad share a love for Lego. Yeah. I feel like there's a miss there. We should some, some Lego and maybe some just overall like car enthusiasts, like, you know, what's going on for racing and, and car stuff. So got to be done yeah we'll find a way me and brad are like brothers from another mother right like this 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 conversation was very easy but no cool let's make time for that i think for everybody else if you want more great tales from the trenches and best practice people guidance please 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 stay tuned to the talent revolution we've got many more great guests just like brad coming every other tuesday go ahead and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and we'll see you in the next one thanks for listening